like I said, I'm I'm stoked for it. So next week we'll have to do a spoilerific discussion about. Absolutely, we're actually uh, because we're both going to see it. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, all right, <clears throat> all right. Well, uh, hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe. I am Max. I'm Jr. How's it going? It's going. How are you? Good, good. We are both going to see Endgame today, so that's and, exciting. And we're both going to see it pretty much as soon as we're done recording. Yeah. Um, which is why, guys, that this might be this show might be will hopefully be a little tighter than recent shows. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we have a definite cap on how long we can go here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so. Um, I and I know. think we're bo- we're both pretty excited about it. Like I've yeah. managed to stay pretty well away from trailers, with the exception of the like the first two that didn't tell us anything at all. Right. Um, right. I've managed to stay entirely away from spoilers. I think you said you had one minor thing happen to you, and that was literally this morning. Yeah. Um, but that's not. It's it's one of those things that it's. Um, it's not like, it's not like a, uh, oh, and by the way, like Hawkeye saves the day by shoving a, an explosive arrow up Thanos ass or anything like yeah. that. It's uh, just, uh, or, uh, Avengers disassembled Hawkeye's death. Yeah. yeah. Like it's exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you, did you see the quote unquote theory about Ant-Man in Thanos's butt? No. That's how yeah. we survived. <laughs> the no, quantum realm. No, that's 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 a joke theory going around about oh. how they're going to win. Oh. Um, I say theory loosely because it's clearly. I mean, there's no way, but uh, because science actually did a whole episode about like, ugh, okay, so could that happen? And the answer is no. Um, so because we we actually the major thing is you see. Uh, in Ant-Man and the Wasp, when he grows in that storage closet, he's constrained by the tensile strength of whatever he's growing in. Um, and so the question then becomes, could, could he rip through Thanos's colon? And the answer is, if his colon is like a human's, then no. <clears throat> so, anyway... Now that we've done that, um, well, yep. Uh, uh, you watched all the movies. We should do. A, I did. I, since there's no real news, let's do a couple minutes on on what how you watched all the movies again. I yeah, uh, with the exception of Captain Marvel, obviously. Um, if I if I'd planned this better, I could have set it up so that I went and saw Captain Marvel uh, like yesterday or something. But I didn't, well, so I can't. But also, but also, the point was to watch them all with your daughter. So right, yeah. So how'd that go? Uh, it was good. I mean, my my daughter is kind of she's gotten better uh, because it used to be when when I would watch these movies, she'd be like, "Let me know when they fight," and go in her room, and I'd be like, "But you need all the talking to have context for the fight. If you don't have the slow bits, then the fighting is just fighting." And, uh, yeah, but she's she didn't like, care. Whereas, yeah, uh, yeah, fighting. Now, now she was actually there for a good chunk of it. Like, she'd come and go when she got bored or whatever. 
Um, and that happened. Like yesterday, we were down to the wire, so we watched literally four movies uh, back to back to back. Um, yesterday? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, yeah, but uh, it was good. It was It was one of those things of... By and large, the only time most of these movies have been watched piecemeal and uh, as they came out and then I'd go back and watch some whenever. Uh, And I think it it gives you an interesting perspective on them when you watch them all uh, back to back to back, because some of some of the things like one of the one of the big things is uh, claw in black panther even though uh black panther is set back a little ways uh to right after the end of civil war um claw is out there stealing vibranium and it's like so wait in age of ultron he sold all that value vibranium to ultron and was suddenly worth billions of dollars so did he burn through all that money or is it just love of the game at this point? Because I, really, I saw your tweets on that and I was like, no, nah, I think he just has to be dirty and stealing. Like that's like this, the Andy Circus version of Claw has to be kind of gross and stealing something <laughs> like that's his deal. Yeah. Uh, I am. I am really sorry they killed him off because he was oh, yeah. one of my favorite uh, movie villains just you know you give Andy Serkis license to be weird and it's it's fun to watch absolutely um, <clears throat> so you know <laughs> um, you know the, like it, do what the cuttlefish in Ultron <laughs> is yeah. really just the you know it scares me cuttlefish it's like <laughs> I want to know if that's in the script, like if that's in the shooting script, or if he yeah. just went off book, and they were that was, and like, and that was, like, uh, oh, the two of them have to stand there and just be like, what the fuck is he gonna say? Like maybe he just went nuts. <laughs> like they did four takes, and he was something different each time. Like that yeah. would be rad. Okay. Yeah. And it's it's the same kind of thing. Like I like to imagine that uh, in uh, in Doctor Strange, when Doctor Strange first goes up against Cassilius, and uh, winds up it winds up with Cassilius in like the artifact that binds him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does this whole spiel about like uh, everything dies, and like it's. It's inescapable. The only way to avoid it is to become part of the one and stuff like that. I like to know, I like to think that Mads Mikkelsen didn't know the the cameras were necessarily necessarily rolling. That was just him making small talk between <laughs> scenes, like <laughs> like that's just how he talks to folk. Is yeah, it, like... it'd, it'd be it'd be like having a conversation with Werner Herzog. It's just like. <laughs> Anyway, or, or uh, oh god, the guy that did the alien. Oh, H.R. Uh, Geiger. Yeah, is it Geiger or Geiger? I don't know. I think the it e doesn't. Is first, which I is know. first? 
I think it, the E is first. Then it's the then it's Geiger. Okay. You say the second one. I don't know. Um. You anyway. Do all right. Should we do comics? Actually, well, hang on. I guess it's I. It's just an I. Whatever. Oh. Yeah, it's G I G E R. Whatever. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Anyway. Uh. But yeah, it's it's one of those things. If you haven't done it, it can be like the the laziest marathon i think is the way i described it because it's just like you feel like you've you feel like you're strung out even though all you've done is sit on a couch but uh it's it's worth doing at least once just to kind of yeah it kind of brings things into a tighter focus and you notice other things so sure um anyway comics uh Avengers number 137, written by Steve Englehart, penciled by George Tusca, inked by Vince Coletta, colored by Phil Rachelson, and lettered by Charlotte Jetter. Uh, the Avengers realize they've kind of taken some hits in terms of uh, their membership, because Mantis is off being a Madonna, Swordsman is dead, Vision and Scarlet Witch are off on their honeymoon, so really, all we're left with at this point is, what, Iron Man, Thor, Hawkeye, uh... Cap on a come-and-go basis. That's it. But And they even they even ask him, and he's just like, sorry, I've got a Red Skull problem right now. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like, well, are you an Avenger, Cap, or not? Yeah. At this point in the game. But anyway. Yeah. But, uh, so they, re- they realize they need to, uh fill out their ranks a little bit more and uh moon so dragon's invi- standing right there so she, they're just like well i say we get new moon dragon because she's yeah. right here and every even hawkeye's still like well i don't know if we trust her she's like i'm gonna be a jerk about this whole thing it's like yeah dude chill so he he leaves and goes to um to uh get in the time platform and go back and see if Black Knight wants to join. Uh, They extend invitations to every previous member, and they've all got their own shit going on. Like, Hercules is busy, uh, Cap has the whole Red Skull thing going on, and so on and so forth. Black Widow's like, I've got uh, relationship problems. (laughs) I love the fact that that's her thing. But also Hercules is like, nah, dude, I'm out here having a shitload of fun. Pass. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Black Widow, Black Widow, it's literally just like, I'm in a relationship that implodes every five minutes, so <laughs> that's pretty much taking up all of my attention. Uh, the only ones who agree are uh, Wasp. Hawkeye and Wasp, or no, Yellow Jacket and Wasp. Which is... Um, but only sort of yellow jacket. It's mostly Wasp being like, he'll do what I tell him to. <laughs> yeah. <pretty laughs> much. It's um, great. So Thor puts out a call to literally like anyone who wants to join the Avengers. And they go to Shea Stadium uh, because they're expecting a huge turnout. And literally the only person who shows up is Beast. Um <laughs> which has gotta has gotta hurt. I mean, you're ostensibly the premier super team in this universe, 
Though I guess I read something, Kurt Busick, I haven't had a chance to look into whether or not this is the case. Kurt Busick said that at one point, um, said at one point that uh, Avengers was actually started to fill a hole in the schedule. That's the only reason um, that they did this book in the first place. But at this point in time, the Avengers are a big deal. Like they're, they're the most legitimate superhero team out there um and uh so for them to have one i mean you you gotta figure there's at least some drunk dipshit that's just like yeah maybe maybe i could get on the avengers i could let's do it i i mean surely there's people tailgating outside or something like but no there's no sign of anyone but beast and then while they're there um well, they, they also Thor also says that Thor and Iron Man have a back and forth like there's nobody fucking here, dude. And he's like, "Well," he goes. Also, I looked at your ad. You didn't even tell anybody where we were gonna be. <laughs> Thor's, Thor's like, "Well, then they'd have to figure it out, wouldn't they? That would make them a better uh, Avenger." And it's like, "No, dude, you didn't do this right at all." Yeah, <laughs> we look like scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but. While Beast is showing them what he can do, these uh, these floating mines appear suddenly, and uh, this this voice is talking to them from the stands, uh, looking for the Scarlet Witch. And um, each of the Avengers is just like, "I can do this," and they they each try to fly through and are blasted to shit. And then the Wasp is actually injured doing this. Um, Beast actually manages to flip and tumble his way through the mines and shut them down, at which point the stranger leaves and they take the wasp to the hospital. Um, So Avengers number 138, which is colored by George Russo's, they take the wasp to the hospital and they're it's looking really bad. Um, like they're not sure if she's going to make it through the night. And, uh, so yellow jacket is pissed. Um, and so he's gunning for the stranger. Uh, beast is like, you know, I, I was one of the ones who first encountered the stranger. Like I can help you guys out with this. Um, and so they set up, uh, a trap wherein they head to a tropical island ostensibly to warn Vision and Scarlet Witch. The stranger shows up and they're just like, ha, we don't know where they are. We just fucking fooled you. <laughs> and uh, so they have they have this fight they with the stranger uh, aboard it, his ship. Yeah. And um, it's kind of not going for well for them. But then Beast is actually able... He discovers that it's not the stranger. It's actually Toad. Um, who has... After years of being ignored, he found his way back to the stranger's planet. Uh stole a bunch of his shit and then came to earth in an attempt to woo the Scarlet Witch. Um, 
or destroy her for turning him down or whatever. Um, <clears throat> yeah, this is a really mean spirited version of like writing of Toad. Yeah. I was like, oh no, Toad. This sucks yeah. for you. Yeah. Uh, it's not bad. I, I'm glad I like Beast as an Avenger. Like, I like his that's, stint. That's um, what I was going to say, too, was that I like... I really Beast feels like he's a natural part of this team. Yeah. Moondragon, not so much, but I'm willing to let that let that grow she or beast just feels like he slots in real nice yeah um Um, we needed somebody with a little more fun a little more like the anti-hawkeye who's mm -hmm. actually somebody who's actually funny and a little actually carefree instead of hawkeye who's like i'm fun it's like no you're not dude you're not fun (laughs) at all (laughs) no i'm the fun one Hawkeye, no. Hawkeye's the one that invariably ruins the Christmas party. Absolutely. Um, you know, Beast Beast is like the life of the party. And Hawkeye is over to the side getting drunk and just being like, look at him. Look at him. He thinks he's so fucking great. And then he tries to do something to prove he's fun and just winds up ruining the party. And everybody's just like, well, I think that's it. Time to call it. Yeah. Oh, well, Hawkeye is drunk, I guess. Everybody go home. Yeah. Mostly Hawkeye go home. (laughs) Mostly Hawkeye go home. (laughs) Fuck you, Karen! All right. (laughs) So, uh, X-Men number 94, uh, written by Chris Claremont and Lynn Wein, penciled by Dave Cockrum, inked by Bob McCloud, colored by Phil Rachelson, and lettered by Tom Wurzakowski. The first part of this... You know, we've we've returned from Krakoa and everybody's standing around and Professor X is just like, very well done, team. So let's start talking about what we're going to do now, at which point a bunch of people are just like, uh, hold on. Speaking of um, what we're going to do now, we is probably not the right word. Yeah. So. Sunfire immediately is just like, fuck you, I'm out. Um, which, <laughs> which it's pretty much like all that, I, like it's literally just okay, yeah. Speaking of you, uh, fuck you, bye. And yeah, just he leaves. and he literally says, like, if you come looking for Sunfire's help again, just don't even bother. Yeah, <laughs> um, Sunfire will refuse. And I'm like, yeah, wow. Um, at which point, then, um, you know, the the new X-Men largely agree to stay. Banshee's a little uncertain, but Professor Xavier's like, you know, you could belong here. Yeah. And uh, Banshee's just like, that actually sounds pretty nice. Um, the original, and so Professor Xavier kind of takes that as, that's all there is to discuss. And then the original X-Men are just kind of like, well, actually, and uh, reveal that they're leaving. Um the at that point cyclops is just like wait we're we're doing what now and uh they're all like you're gonna come with us right um overnight cyclops is like agonizing about what to do and you have this you have this moment that at this point in time would feel trite uh which is to say angsty fucking cyclops in the context of the comic, it works because he's, it's like on the one hand, you know, the woman he loves is leaving. 
on the other hand, like, where can he really go? Like, this is not a man who operates well outside of this context. Like, yeah, and not only that, but like, if it were his old powers, maybe. But he's now just had a huge jump in how powerful his eye blasts are. He's got to get that under control. And, you know, he... So, yeah, it's it's actually... At the time, it would have been a very good character moment. If you're at all familiar with Cyclops at this point, maybe not. Um, but... I mean, I, I'm fairly familiar with Cyclops. You're an asshole. Please die. Um, <laughs> but... I still liked this character beat. This was probably one of the best, probably one of the best character beats of the whole week, um, yeah. especially of established characters. And I also like that the the other four of them are like we're we're leaving. I think it was a dick move not to talk to him about it because he this yeah. is coming off left field for him. Yeah, and all it, four of them seem like fucking they've, blindsides him. Yeah, but like Warren and Alex. Gene and uh, Lorna all seem to be like, oh yeah, no, we, we're we leaving. We <laughs> talked about this. You were there. Were you not paying attention? Yeah. I was not there. Anyway. Yeah. So the next morning, they're all getting ready to leave and they're like, what are you, you're still in costume. What are you doing, bro? And he's like, I uh, have to stay. And... Uh, so he and Gene have a moment before they take off, and uh, can I can I say one thing? Uh-huh. Um, I realized this week in the course of reading this, Gene Gene is a character that, aside from Dark Phoenix, is really white bread. Like she's boring. She tends to be boring as fuck. And that's oh, why yeah. we're constantly revisiting Dark Phoenix is because nobody really knows what else to do with her. Um, and yet she has like more interest from men in the in these books than any because Professor Xavier's in love with her. Cyclops is in love with her. Angel has a thing for her. Wolverine's in love with her on and on down the list. And it's just like, Why? There are so many better women. Uh, Aurora's here now. She's way more interesting. Fucking Polaris is more interesting. Like, why her? But I've never uh, really understood that until later. Around the third time that she died. I was finally like, oh, there's a character there. Oh. Yeah, you mean during uh, New X-Men? Uh... Yeah, I mean, I think so. Yeah, it was yeah. during... She was in a trench. Or she came back to life in a trench? I don't remember. Man, Jean's died so many times. Whatever. Um, yeah. But anyway, so they all take off. Um, and so Cyclops takes the new X-Men um, and is like, this is the danger room. Um, the object and, is, and I didn't ever, I never knew that this is a nice explanation of the danger, danger room for me. The, the object is to get to the other side. I'm like, that's a, if that were true, which it's not, but if it were, that's pretty cool. Um, well, that's a, that's a great, uh, that's a great way. Cause you walk up and it seems like just an empty room 
Um, And he's just like, yeah, yeah, it should be no big deal. So go ahead and cross the room. And uh, Thunderbird's just like, you're fucking kidding, right? And like goes to do it and is immediately blasted back (laughs) through the doorway. And so uh, we we proceed to have like what amounts to a montage of them training over the course of the next few weeks. Um, And we see exactly how hard Cyclops is, uh, is pushing them. Um, Them and himself. Yeah. And uh, in the, in the process, Thunderbird winds up getting too close to a laser and is slightly injured. Um, And, you know, Cyclops, Cyclops rips him a new one. He's just like, if that had been, an actual like um blazer that is to say if this had been the field you'd have lost a leg and thunderbird's like fuck you man i i know what i'm doing i it's just you've been riding us so fucking hard um and they're they're at each other's throats when suddenly xavier uh interrupts telepathically and um that brings us to chapter two, Death Over Valhalla High, um, where we see Valhalla Mountain in the Rockies, which is where NORAD is located. Um, one of the one of the technicians, I don't know, he doesn't really look like a guard. He looks a bit schlubby, so I'm inclined to think it's a tech, he's a tech of some sort. I agree. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he gets a package, and it's just this box with a button that says, like, push me. Yep. And uh, and he's like, Gary, did you do this? What the, what the hell, man? And uh, so he presses it, at which point a portal opens, and the Animen emerge. Now, these were originally, in Daredevil, the Unholy Three, which were Catman, Gorilla Man, and Birdman. They then ended a frogman, and this is now the first appearance of Dragonfly. Um, but they oh. have actually been experimented upon and turned into animalistic humans. Um, but uh, they get in and they start taking over the base. It turns out that they are taking orders from Count Nefaria. Um, and we get it, we get some flashbacks to like Nefaria's previous uh appearances, specifically like, you know, uh his having run had a run in with the X-Men. Um we find out that he had had some scientists experiment on the Animen, blah blah blah. Um So that's kind of where we stand there. Uh Back at the school, Cyclops is talking to Nightcrawler, and he's just like, you know, I, I'm really not happy about the way things went with John, and Nightcrawler's just like, yeah, that fucking blows, man. And, uh, but then Xavier calls everybody together. Nefaria, for whatever reason, if you decide to become a supervillain, you do not have to put out a televised address. Like, I understand if you're looking for uh a ransom that's fine but like you don't have to put it out on all bandwidths or anything send a send a send a copy to like the pentagon sure you know 
but you yeah, don't have you don't, you don't have to... to go on television and just be like this is where I am and this is what I'm planning to do and here are my here are my forces this is exactly how many people I have with me take a good look like place some of it close to the vest yeah you don't you don't have to so obviously this backfire is on him and the X-Men are just like, well, we need to go stop him. Uh, he has control of the Doomsmith command system, uh, which is a, a really strange, I mean, I get it from like a cold war perspective because the idea is you turn it on and then after a certain point, it reaches a point where it cannot be turned off and it will automatically fire off every single missile in the U.S.'s nuclear stockpile. But, like, the, the idea behind something like NORAD, like putting something like that inside a mountain, you know, is that these people aren't going to be hit with the nuclear fire raining down. So, like, why do you have to make it a, whatever. Um, yeah. Anyway, so he's like, you, you know, you, meaning not just the countries of the world, but apparently you at home have three hours. Um, at which point, so it turns out that Beast is at the Avengers mansion and he reaches out to them because the Avengers are kind of busy. Um, uh, and the X-Men are like, yeah, cool. Uh, Cyclops tells Thunderbird to stay behind because of his laser burn. Thunderbird's like, fuck you, I'm going. Uh, and they and start Xavier's to like, no, you're go- he's going. And yeah. I was like, Xavier, you suck so much. Yeah. Like, Cyclops is right. Yeah. Um, but anyway. So. You uh, rarely. They... We could do this for a hundred years, and I will say that sentence like four times. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I I actually enjoy Cyclops. Uh, I He can be poorly written at times, but anyway, anyway, yeah. anyway. Moving on. Um, so they take off in their jet, um, and they arrive at Valhalla Mountain. Uh, Cyclops gets in contact with the general, and the general's just like, oh, you're not the Avengers. And he's like, well... Beggars can't be choosers. Uh, And so he lets them go in. Um, As they're headed toward it, Nefaria's like, oh, hey, people are coming. So he tries to blow them out of the sky. Cyclops uh, does some fancy flying and manages to cause two of them to crash. One, though, makes it and hits the back of the jet. Cyclops hits a button and makes their already small plane smaller. Um, and the damage bit just drops off. Um, and everyone's like, woo, well done, Cyclops. And then uh, Nefaria just blasts something called a sonic disruptor that just makes the jet around them disappear. Well, and, and they're I, just falling through the sky, which I love. I, I like the fact that uh, <laughs> that Cyclops, the the pod ejects right as the uh, plane itself is hitting the hitting the ground and explodes. And he's like, hopefully, the explosion will cover our escape. 
At which point it cuts to Neferi and he's just like, God damn it. (laughs) It's just like, well, there went that. Uh, So the issue ends with the X-Men now in free fall. Um, So then we pick up with number 95, which is inked by Sam Granger, colored by Petra Goldberg and lettered by Karen Mantlo. Um, The X-Men do their... I really what? like a a good, how the hell do we get ourselves out of this? This is a good use of the, oh shit, we're all falling. Yeah, and I, I really what like what's do? done with Cyclops during uh-huh. this, because they are, they are falling, and uh, Cyclops is like, Banshee, you and Storm start grabbing people. Colossus is like, I got this under control. And he just <laughs> turns metal and slams into the ground. Um, and uh, so Banshee grabs Thunderbird. Storm grabs Nightcrawler and Wolverine. And Banshee's like, I'm going to have to come back for you, man. Sorry. And uh, so Banshee takes off with th- uh, Thunderbird. And Cyclops is falling. And it's looking like Banshee's not going to make it in time. Like... Cyclops is about to hit a tree uh, when Banshee swoops in and saves him. Um, so, yeah. It's it's a really well done sequence. Yeah. I really enjoy it. It is. It's it's very well done. Um, we, get, we get a... It's clear that Nightcrawler's powers haven't been fully fleshed out at this point. Um, they tell him to teleport into the base... And he does, so no line of sight yet. Um, But he teleports inside and runs into Frogman. uh, And they fight, and Nightcrawler is able to take him out. Um, Kurt works on opening the door for the X-Men. Neferi is watching, and he's just like, God damn it, Frogman. Why didn't you ask for backup? Um... But as the X-Men are making their way through, there's a bit of gas that starts funneling into the tunnel. Uh, So they break through the wall and uh, they then have a run in with these soldiers who shoot at them. Um, And then like, so Colossus initially steps in front and he's like blocking them, Uh, at which point Storm is just like, don't worry, I got this, summons up a typhoon and literally just washes them away um because well and it's because cyclops is like look we can't hurt them they're clearly deranged like we don't want to hurt these soldiers it's fine and storm just is like okay hurt no drown cool and yeah they'll be fine yeah (laughs) um but then they they come under attack from the Animen, Um and during the there's a big fight which is pretty cool. Um, like Catman is just like I have actual claws, not your stupid bullshit like uh, fake ones. And Wolverine's like whatever, they cut just as well, asshole. <laughs> and uh, you know all this stuff. And uh, during the f- course of the fight, Thunderbird and Banshee are knocked out. Um, And Cyclops makes a command decision. He's like, we'll come back for them. We have to go. Um, So they take off, um, at which point we kind of skip forward and Banshee and Thunderbird wake up. They have no idea where anyone else is, so they 
start trying to find them. Um, Nefaria is just like, well, time to go. And, uh, <laughs> and takes he off. Steals a Harrier and yeah. is like, I'm, I'm gone. Bye. I really don't have to be here to destroy the planet. And it's like, well, it's the planet though. Where are you, where are you going to go? Yeah. Like Duder. you're already in a mountain, dude. <laughs> like <laughs> this, was this the is best kind of best case scenario. Be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he steals a Harrier, but Banshee and Thunderbird see him. Thunderbird jumps on the plane and Banshee's like, don't do it, lad. And Thunderbird's like, nah, man, I got it. We switch back to the X, the other X-Men. Cyclops is like trying to shut it down. Um, and he's just like, oh shit, it's already, it's already too late. And he's like trying to figure out what to do. Um, I love that he's like, oh shit, it's already too late. And Xavier pops in and is like, what the fuck are you doing? It's already turned off. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, your, your battle already damaged the machinery. Yeah. Uh, but he tells him that Thunderbird is in danger. Um, yep. So we switch back to Thunderbird, who is on the plane and making his way up to the cockpit. Um Xavier is now contacting uh, Thunderbird telepathically. And so he and Banshee are both begging John to get off. But uh, Thunderbird's like, nah, man, I seriously, I've got this. And starts ripping machinery out of the um, plane. Yeah. Um, And the plane explodes. Um, you know, the X-Men are horrified. Cyclops is trying to keep things like, you know, somewhat compartmentalized so he can continue being a good leader. But what I really, what I really like about this is, first of all, this is a death that has yet to be reversed. As far as I know, they have yet to ever attempt to bring Thunderbird back. And I, the, Part of that is because this death is unequivocal. Um, is Nefarious come back, though? Uh, I don't know. But the uh, the thing about it is, with with Thunderbird, um, the reason the reason this death is uh, unequivocal bleh, is because uh, Xavier is in telepathic contact with Thunderbird the whole way down. Um, And he... um, He literally feels his mind go. Like, he feels all of it as he dies. And it is... Apparently he does come back way later, but whatever. Nefaria. Um, But it's the closest thing you get to a... Like... Com- a body in comic books, right? Like, right. And it's... the thing is, we're seeing Xavier alone. Like, he's not performing this for anyone. Mm-hmm. So we know John Broadstar is dead, mm-hmm. uh, and that's there are many John. There are other John Broadstars, though, right? Well, there's like the the, uh, the Thunderbird one. who appears in Exiles and stuff yeah. like that, but this John Proudstar is dead, and 
I, the thing that I like is so often it's just like, that guy's dead. There's no way he survived, blah, 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 blah. And then they come back. Um, the Mandarin has done that like six times now. Yeah. But with this, Xavier is with him as he dies. Yeah. And yeah, there's no two ways about it. John Proudstar is dead. They could get up to some fuckery, but I think Proudstar also um, is like a symbolic thing. And that gets a little trickier to mess with. Because um, like Doug Ramsey was kind of the same thing, but he had developed at least a little bit of a following. So somebody was like, we got to bring him back, but that has yet to happen with John. And, uh, anyway, so yeah, uh, this is actually one of my favorite of the early adventures of the X-Men, uh, because yeah, it, it establishes the stakes in a pretty major way that hadn't been done a lot. They usually find some loophole and, or they've, kill off a minor character but this was a this was a guy who was a member of the team team. yeah exactly there had been no reason to suspect up until now that he wasn't going to continue to be so uh anyway giant size x-men number five uh written by jerry conway penciled by ross andrew giant size spider-man or sorry Giant Size Spider-Man number five, written by Jerry Conway, penciled by Ross Andrew, inked by Mike Esposito, colored by Petra Goldberg, and lettered by R.D. Simek, in which we begin the week of the man thing. Oh my um, god, there was so much man thing. Yeah. Let's yeah, go. Just dragging his big mossy balls across everything, which, I mean, I enjoy man thing, but shit, like... Some of this was really, really good, and some of it was way too fucking much. Like, yeah. Anyway, Spider Man so, swinging around decides to be an asshole to a guy for reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and he decides he's just like, I can't, I gotta, I gotta va- have a vacation. And for him, having a vacation involves going to some place, taking pictures, and maybe ha- fighting something as Spider Man. So he goes to the bugle and he's just like, hey, there's a thing down in Florida, man thing. Remember, he rampaged through New York at one point. And Jameson's like, yeah, that's great. You go do it. And uh, so there is not enough time spent with Jonah. J. Jonah Jameson just says yes. Yeah. And everyone's like, what's up with him? Yeah. Is he okay? (laughs) <laughs> I, I like to imagine that that's because he closed an orphanage that day or something like oh, that, where it's just like... Ate, a whole, ate the whole baby? Like... <laughs> he, he, he was at breakfast that morning, and there were, like, starving children looking in the window, and he just sat there and, like, ate an entire turkey without breaking eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so... Peter uh, is sent to go to Florida and try to get pictures. He calls up Dr. Connors and he's like, hey, uh, yeah, come on down. Uh, Then Peter calls Mary Jane and Mary Jane's like, hey, you called. And he's like, hey, I'm going out of town. And she's like, oh, okay." And I I really like this because we're still getting some of that. Some of the interesting things with Mary Jane for the first time. She is incredibly disappointed. 
But yeah. as soon as she gets off the phone, um, her aunt is there and she's like, Mary Jane, who is that? And she turns around and she's just like, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so we cut to Florida and Kurt fucks up and turns into the lizard again. Uh, has a brief maybe, moment. Maybe quit it. playing with chemicals, bro. Yeah, I feel I feel like at that point, maybe take a more advisory role. One that doesn't yeah. actively have you mixing chemicals. Cause... Or get a fucking hood. Like, what are you doing? This is or bad an intern. Get an <laughs> intern. And then you can be standing behind the glass and be like, now mix this and this. And they'll be like, okay. And like, you don't. You don't have to keep doing this. They'll mix this and this, and if you break it, you'll turn into a lizard monster. <laughs> what? Nothing. Don't break it. <laughs> but either either way, this this door is designed to go into lockdown if that happens. So we can easily get you the antidote. Um, but no. So Kurt Connors uh, continues to ignore OSHA regulations and basic common sense and once more turns into the lizard. Um, he, his wife comes in and she's like, Kurt, is everything okay? I heard something break. Uh, so he attacks her, but he gets outside and he's like running through the swamp and he's just like, I'm gonna, you know, same bullshit. Like lizards will rule the earth, whatever. Um, but then he, he sees the man thing, and he's like, I gotta deal with that. Uh, before Peter takes off, he goes and visits Gwen Stacy in order to apologize for freaking out after she was suddenly alive again. Um, and she do, she refuses to open the door. Um, ugh. So, we then switch to our final player, this dude... Edmund, who is a biochemist uh, that has he started a he started a business with his wife that took off, but now the recession has caused him to uh, experience a serious downturn. Uh, they're losing the business. He's going to commit suicide so that she can get the money before the life insurance runs out. Um, but he is saved by Man Thing. Um, who saves him from an alligator. Uh, he, he then is just like, holy shit, this is a big deal. Um, so he takes off to go and, you know, like, I'm not, he either goes to tell people or he goes to like collect the stuff he needs in order to capture the monster. I don't know. I felt like he was just following man thing now. Well, like, he, that's he, ta- his, that's he takes whole... off because he's just like, there's money to be made here. But they don't really do a good job of explaining what exactly his plan is. Uh, so Spidey arrives in Florida and he's attacked by the lizard. Uh, he's able to capture the lizard um, and string him up with his webbing. And they're like, oh shit, what are we going to do? Um, Edmund is off following Man-Thing. And all of these... Man-Thing follows all of these various swamp creatures 
that are being drawn to the lizard. Um, when they arrive, Connor's or lizard is able to um, kind of control the man thing a little bit and he makes it attack Spider-Man. They fight and the lizard gets free. Um, so we, we get, we get a fight between man thing, Spider-Man and the lizard, uh, during which Edmund kind of stumbles into things and he's like, Oh shit. Um, and, uh, Edmund, oh, no. I don't want to be here at all. <laughs> And yeah. Edmund is beset by Connor's wife, who's like, oh, my God, thank God you're here. And he's like, why? I'm just a chemist. What do you need from me? And she's like, you're a chemist? Fucking great. Get in the lab. And he's like, okay. Yeah. Uh, and they go make antidote. Here's the thing. Why do they have to make antidote? Yeah, you'd think as often as Connors fucks up and turns into the lizard, they'd have like a store yeah, just of, ready. A, of this of this antidote and like enough that they could like aerosol it and yeah, just yeah, spray it in his fucking face. Just you have you have a special mini fridge set aside in the lab that is full of nothing but antidote because it's just like he's gonna turn into the lizard. Oh yeah. Um. So, um. Edmund comes running out with the antidote, but trips and falls like a dumbass. <laughs> Spider-Man saves the vial from breaking, at which point he swings it around and slams it into Lizard's face. He reverts to Connor's. Man-Thing and the various creatures of the swamp disappear back into the swamp. Edmund is just like, my life has meaning again. Um, Does like, it, dude? Does it? Well, at the very least, he's just like, you know, I was going to kill myself today, but if I had, maybe the lizard would have won, and, you know, lizards would have overrun the whatever. Who cares? Anyway, um... Yeah, this this issue I'm just really ambivalent about, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I liked was Mary Jane. The rest yeah. of it was like, okay, fine, it's a lizard story. And man yeah. things there. That's about as excited as I get. Yeah, lizard is one of those things that, like, man, when when somebody makes an effort, they get, the lizard can be really cool and then other times it's just like I do not care yeah uh, speaking of do not care we're going to be getting into some Fantastic Four here in a minute but let's go ahead and take a break and uh, we'll be back alright good at making that interesting we need to talk about comics because both and no, both yeah, you I and I have a schedule to keep. Yeah, I know, I know. Sorry, I <laughs> I just wanted to say my quick bit about the trailer, and then yep. we became it became a whole it, thing. My um, let's go. No, 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 no. You're fine. Uh, we're back. Clearly, one last thing I will say about Jim Jarmusch. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, uh, God, this. Also, we'd rather talk about Jim Jarmusch movie zombie movies than. A really convoluted Fantastic Four story. Let's see if we can do it 
fast. Fantastic I, Four, number 160. Yeah, um, written by Roy Thomas, penciled by John Bushima, inked by Chick Stone, colored by Janice Cohen, and lettered by Ray Holloway. I read somewhere that read Roy Thomas kind of just focuses on what's in front of him. Like, he kind of just uh, does his thing for that month and then worries about next month, next month, like, you know. And this is one of those occasions where it's really apparent because it's kind of all over the fucking place. Uh, Alicia has a run-in with a different thing. It's not her thing. It's a different thing. That thing is then captured by Archon, the shittiest barbarian. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, uh, she takes a cab to the Baxter building with the same cabbie that gave Susan Storm a lift. Who gives a shit? Um, the FF's jet lands coming back from the hidden refuge, uh, Alicia is confused because Ben is there Um, and thing is like, huh, what you're describing kind of sounds like this other thing I ran into that was actually Reed Richards. And uh, he goes down to the communications room and asks to borrow Lockjaw. They send Lockjaw and he uh, has Lockjaw take him to the source using a piece of the thing's shirt. Um, At that point, a man named Albert DeVore shows up uh, representing a company called, I don't know, something IT, whatever. Yeah, this one is uh, Interlocking Technologies. Sure. Uh, Reed is just like, yeah, I'm selling Fantastic Four Inc. to them uh, in order to keep our cash flow going. They're like, what? And he's like, it's done. And DeVore is like, cool, bye. Um... Ben uh, Ben has a little bit of trouble with Lockjaw taking him to the right dimension, but he finally arrives at the right place, goes up to this castle, uh, and it turns out that it is the one run by this planet's Reed Richards. He's attacked by robots, but then Ben and Susan Grimm show up, Ben Grimm having had flight or sorry, fire and stretching abilities, but Reed cured him whatever um they have a chat who gives a shit um turns out that this version of reed richards sold his company to a company called interrelated technocracies uh back at home reed tells johnny and sue that the it's a done deal fuck you whatever i'm signing um johnny's pissed sue's surprised whatever fantastic four number 161 penciled by rich buckler inked by joe sinnott colored by glennis ween and lettered by joe rosen i'm still not a big fan of rich buckler at this point in time because he's still very heavily aping jack kirby style and i am not a fan of him doing that anyway yeah um Reed goes down to the Fantastic Four's training room because apparently everyone has a danger room now. Uh, It turns out that, yep, like Reed thought, he's losing his powers. Um, Sue shows up and she's like, what's wrong? And he's like, nothing. I'm just a little stressed. Um, Johnny has stormed out. definitely shouldn't talk about anything. Yeah, because, you know, (laughs) the best thing uh, when you've barely survived a uh, potential divorce is to not talk about what's happening to you. Um, Johnny had doing it too. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. 
Johnny is stomping around pissed and he decides to head out to the uh, swamp or the grasslands and teleport into the fifth dimension to see Valyria. Once he arrives, he is attacked by people who think he is an androne, but then Phineas and Valyria show up and they're like, no, he's cool. Um, Phineas tells him that they are under attack from these androids. It turns out that they are being built. They are the robots being built by Reed Richards of so-called Earth A. So we have Earth, Earth A, and the Fifth Dimension, and then Archon's shitty planet. Um, uh, so. They're attacked um, by androns again. Uh, after we explain, like, all the shitty planets all the different earths they're attacked by one more androne johnny fucks it up and we find agrees out to be their general uh in their war against that reed richards yes um back on earth a ben Susie, susan and ben are talking about reed's decision to sell out they they head to new york to investigate the company that bought it and discover that there are creatures attacking from different times. Um, ben from Earth attacks a couple of dinosaurs, uh, realizes that the president on this on this world is Nelson Rockefeller, um, at which point he is attacked by the military and betrayed by Earth A Ben. Um, Regular ass Earth Reed is trying to figure out how to get. He can't find Johnny or Ben, and he's like, basically, shit's fucked because now this regular Earth is being beset by a basically a new ice age like there's glaciers mm-hmm. destroying oslo and oh no that's weird the only people that we know that were had that kind of uh power was the fifth dimension folks and they must be attacking us for some reason blah 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 uh there's an invasion force in that fifth dimension, Reed mistakes it for an invasion force to invade Earth. But they're actually going to attack Earth, eh? Yeah. I don't know. It's... It gets real convoluted and dumb real fast. So, here's the, here's the short version. Yeah. So, the upshot of all of this is that... Um, Earth is being attacked by the fifth dimension or by technology from the fifth dimension because Phineas sold out to his version of IT who are now using it to attack Earth. Earth A is being attacked by the Earth's version of IT, which has taken Doom's time platform uh, from Reed. Then the fifth dimension is being attacked by the by Earth A's version of IT which took the androids from Earth A, Reed Richards, and on and on and on. The upshot of all of this is that IT is being run uh, uh, by this dude. 
for Archon. The idea being that in between these three Earths is this nexus. If they all destroy themselves with nuclear fire, then the energy released will funnel into the nexus and to Archon's world, thus saving it. Who gives a shit? Anyway, that's uh, interpolitan thermodynamics is the fifth dimension version of that. Whatever. Fantastic Four number 162, colored by Phil Rachelson. Um, which I think... You pretty no. well okay. nailed it already. Yeah, I'm just trying to cover the basic bits. We we find out all of this in the course of this issue, and then at the end they decide to... They determine that they can end this um, by A, attacking uh, Archon, while... Earth's Ben Grimm thing goes to the Nexus to throw this disc in there that will close the Nexus, and then Archon has no reason to do this because it won't get funneled to his Earth. When Ben gets there, there is a space goalie waiting for him called Guard, G-A-A-R-D, whatever. Um, Fantastic Four number 163 is colored by Don Warfield. The upshot of all of this is Archon is defeated. The portal is closed. Guard is, uh, Guard pretty well thrashes Ben, but then, um, the whole thing is that only Guard and one other can exist within this area or the whole thing will go kerplooey. Uh, but Reed projects an image of thing thus confusing guard guard attacks it ben's able to get past him the nexus is shut down guard is like oh well i have nothing left to live for man man then it turns out that this is the earth a version of johnny storm who was thought dead in vietnam but in fact was snatched by archon who gives a fuck if it weren't for so there are two things in this story that i actually that i like a space goalie it's dumb it's really dumb but it's fun uh and the other thing that i there's like three there's like a page and a half of the two things fighting together that is rad uh and other than that it's too convoluted and i don't care but yeah uh whatever um i my my feeling about guard is that Roy Thomas was just like, you know, Stan and Jack created a fucking surfer and everybody fucking loved it. So what's another thing we can do? Football player? No, you're fired. Uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then it's just like, fuck it. Goalie. Great. Give him a stick. Give him skates. Put a stupid fucking mask on him. We're done. And it's just fucking terrible. Uh, so that brings us to Man-Thing number 16, written by Steve Gerber, penciled by John Bushima, inked by Klaus Jansen, colored by Tom Palmer, and lettered by Artie Simek. I realized this week that what I think is my ultimate problem with Man-Thing, and that is, I wish that... I wish that Man-Thing kind of existed in its own corner of the Marvel Universe. Which is to say, Man-Thing might appear in other things like Giant Size Spider-Man or Marvel 2-in-1 or what have you. But that, by and large, Man-Thing's own book would exist in its own 
separate thing because I like a lot of the horror and the like psychological thriller stuff that they do. Uh, I think that the book is actively hampered by comic book logic. And I don't know that that would be the case if it were, if it were a straight hero book or a straight horror book. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, and this issue is, I think, endemic of that, because I think this issue could have been done in such a way that I just liked it across the board. But the the presence of the Viking is just kind of like so fucking like comic booky that I'm just like, <sighs> yeah, eh. I I don't know why this is the form that he chose to take. Right. Like, why did you I get your deal? grandpa yeah like i get i get your motivation and like all that and why specifically because it yeah right it just feels like he decides that all men of this era are pussies yeah wimps and uh he's gonna go out and cull them i guess uh but i don't know why we decides to put on the viking outfit it just sounds silly uh, I, I think ultimately I it's, you know, because like the whole toxic masculinity thing I'm on a, I'm on board with. Like I I get that as a motivator for the character sure. and I get that uh, in the context of the story. And so that all makes sense. But yeah, his dressing up like a Viking. I'm like, OK, um, but we, we start the book with uh, Death Bowie. <laughs> this is like if someone tried to explain Graham Rock to your parents and did it badly, and then your parents had to explain it back to you. Like, right, right. It, sure, Dad, you clearly don't know. Like, you're not a hip, you're not hip to this yeah. at all. Uh, but it's 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 David Bowie. It's a glam rock guy who is also decided that he's completely obsessed with death, and decay, mm-hmm. and rot, and that's what real truth is. So mm-hmm. he takes a coterie of people with him down to the swamp so that he can roll around in the mud. Yeah, um, they set up at the shack that Ted Salas used to work in he puts a big star on the top with like lights and shit because he can't not do this stuff um and meanwhile we've got astrid josephson who is fleeing from the mad viking and literally like literally the only reason he's a viking is because yeah they're of nordic descent whatever right um the in the course of things, we find out that the Mad Viking was a dude who worked at the docks, and it reached the point where he was too old to he was he had reached an age where the company was like, "You need to retire," and he's like, "I don't want to retire. I'm still able to do the job, and what am I supposed to do if I retire?" Uh, and the company's just like, "Don't give a shit. You're retired," and so. He gets angry and goes off and puts on a Viking costume and starts uh, destroying whatever he thinks is unmanly, hence the toxic masculinity angle that we were talking about. Um, 
And so he, uh, and I, I feel like I, I feel like I should address here. Um, there is a misconception amongst a lot of people who don't know any better, um, or are actively not trying to understand toxic masculinity does not mean being a man is bad. Um, no, it means defining yourself by manly things to the point that you've bent it in a way that becomes unhealthy right. for the people any, around any, you. Any behavior can be toxic if you right. engage in it in an unhealthy way for you or others. And that's all toxic masculinity is. It's yeah. when you are using masculinity to tear yourself or others down because of a rigid view of what a man should be. Right. So this is not to say if you work out, you are a toxic male. It is if you it is if you are using your macho-ness to say, I am what a man should be, and anybody who doesn't meet that isn't a guy or is gay or is blah blah blah. That is the problem. So yeah. Um, the Mad Viking proceeds to, he apparently killed another, uh, rock singer, um, and has now set his sights not only on, uh, his granddaughter, but also this star Spangler. Um, along the way he had a run in, the Mad Viking had a run in with Man-Thing, um, but he, he manages to get past him. Uh, he finds the shack where, um, Astrid and Star Spangler and all these assholes are and proceeds to just start tearing through them. Um, he sticks an ax in Star's chest and then, uh, is going after Astrid when Man-Thing grabs him and, uh has hold of his hands at which point uh the viking feels fear his hands are burned astrid runs away and uh the viking now uh suffering from the burning of his hands causes man thing to lose interest and he just wanders off um so yeah that's that we're not done with the Mad Viking by any stretch because things get a whole fucking lot darker. Yeah. Um, this wasn't exactly the, the shiniest of books considering it ends with a guy dying having written a bunch of like dark shit about how death is all there is and all that. Um, and also just the heavy-handed, yeah, the way this yeah. guy... The, the way the Viking is, we already killed... We already beat that horse but also so this wasn't a shining moment holy shit giant size man thing number four yeah uh which is written by steve gerber penciled by ed hannigan and ron wilson inked by frank springer colored by phil rachelson and lettered by tom orzakowski um there's a funeral being held that attracts the man thing um the the pastor or priest or whatever he is is talking 
in glowing terms about the young man who died um and his name his name was Edmund Winshed uh and he's like singling out the mother the uh father the uncle the aunt the grandmother the gym teacher the friends all of this stuff um and saying you know you who had him work in your auto shop and were proud to see him grow into a man and you who were perhaps closest to him uh well the service is interrupted by edmund's friend alice um who's just like this is all bullshit you all hated him and he hated you um you were terrible to him all the time nothing was ever good that he did was ever good enough for you and she just kind of goes off uh the uncle basically is like shut your fucking mouth she's like no i won't this is stupid you're all being you're all terrible people um and you're the reason why you didn't kill him but you're the reason why he died uh and they're like no seriously need to shut up like the uncle gets up and actually punches her and takes her out like bodily removes her from the service uh throws her into the into the muck and uh tells her to not come back um she's going through a lot um having pretty much just broken down and yelled at all these people in a like because they deserve it her high emotions and all the emotions of the people at the service has attracted man thing he comes up on her she screams uh which kind of enrages Man-Thing, because now she feels fear. Because of the scream, everybody else at the funeral turns back and is like, I'm going to fucking kill that girl. Uh, yeah, Man-Thing burns the, ba- the the uncle. Yeah. And Alice manages to get away. Right. Man-Thing wanders off, and they're all just like, that thing is a menace. Um, then we have... Alice at school it turns out that she has Edmund's diary and everybody's really worried about what's in it and how they're going to look we get we get a whole thing she takes it to the um the meeting for the school magazine which seems to be slightly yearbooky because uh, it seems like they put it out once a year and it's kind of a compilation of stuff um and so she wants to include part of his diary as well as her own thing at the end and we get this big kind of a text dump uh which is about how edmund grew up fat and the various run-ins he had with parents and teachers and a phys ed teacher at his elementary school, um, how he was very close friends with his aunt, who's only a couple of years older than him, but then his uncle beat the shit out of him because he thought he was moving in on his girlfriend or on his wife and things like that. Um, And how Alice is the only person that really could even attempted to see past what he was on the outside and stuff like that and then in alice's addendum we find out that uh she had while they were out running laps uh 
on the field. Uh, she had a, she had come over and asked him a question. The coach saw them talking and decided to make an example of Edmund. Uh, made him run lap after lap after lap, which then caused Edmund to drop dead. Um, so she reads this to all of them, in a, or everyone in the class, in an attempt to get them to agree to have it published. Uh, she then takes it and locks it in her locker, at which point she is grabbed by the gym teacher and Edmund's family. Um, they tie her to the rings, like the, the gym yeah. equipment, the rings and, uh, are, you know, threatening her and they're getting ready to, uh, burn the book. Man thing, meanwhile, is in the swamp, uh, when he sees, Instead of his reflection, it is the spirit of Edmund who wordlessly tells him that she is in danger and that he needs to go help. So he does. And he tears through the family. Like at one point, the aunt who kept her mouth shut while all of this was going on, he actually burns her mouth closed. Um, things like that. But ultimately, what he does is he grabs the coach... Um, he grabs his hands and forces them together and burns him so that it looks his hands are like burned together into the position of praying. Uh, the coach then tries to get away, but man thing follows. And what we wind up with is that right near the spot where Edmund dropped dead, man thing, the coach winds up on his back and man thing starts um like puts his hand on the coach's chest and starts burning through his chest uh it is worth mentioning so when the coach the reason that man thing goes after the coach again is because when the coach's hands are burned together he does not view it as something he deserves or justice or anything like that. He views himself as the victim of Man-Thing's attack. So Man-Thing continues because the coach refuses to see his culpability in Edmund's death. But so ultimately Man-Thing burns his way through the coach's chest and uh, kills him and then just kind of lopes off into the swamp uh, everybody, all these people fucking die with the exception yeah, of like the grandma and his mom, the Edmund's mom, because, well, I guess the aunt might not die, but the dad gets straight hit with a floor cleaner from like 40 feet. Like those are heavy machines. He gets, he gets bodied by it. That dude is yeah. dead. Like all the dudes end up. But yeah, uh, it is. This is a it is dark, harsh. <laughs> this is a dark, dark. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, and his uncle gets his backbone broke. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Nobody yeah, gets you off. Ac light. You actually see him hit something, and yeah. there's a snap. Uh, yeah. So 
unfortunately, Howard the Duck is here to lighten things up. We get the story Frog Death, uh, penciled, inked, and colored by Frank Brunner. Um, so we leave it. We pick up where we last left Howard, which is he is falling through the cosmos um, after his previous appearance. Uh, he lands and he's like, oh, thank God I'm back. I'm back home. Um, but then he happens across these two kids and he's like, oh, no, I'm on the world of the hairless apes. Uh, and he's like, where the hell am I? And they're like Cleveland. And he's like, Ugh. And uh, <laughs> Which, so, you know, is the right answer. Yeah, uh, I think it's this. Uh, uh, no, that was Fantastic Four. Never mind. Uh, so the he, the kids, he's like, where can I buy a cigar? And the kids are like, yeah, we'll take you. So he he goes in and the shop owner is sitting there uh, reading a newspaper and really not paying attention. Um, and Howard's like, how much are these cigars? And the guy's like, three for a dollar. And so Howard gives him a dollar, but being from a different earth, it's got a picture of a duck on it. So the owner takes the dollar and then is just like, whoa, what the fuck are you doing? And Howard's like, what, you don't take out of t- out of our foreign currency? And the the owner is just like, uh, bah, bah, duh, sure, whatever. Um, so they go outside and... Uh, you know, Howard asks what's going on with the neighborhood because everybody's just kind of like tense and shit. Um, and they say, well, that's because of Garko. And he's like, who the hell is Garko? And apparently Garko is a dude who just sits on the windowsill of his apartment on like the third or fourth floor uh, holding S- this jar. Screaming and- angry things into it. And talking about, like, taking over the world. And they're just like, ha, ha. Ah, Garko. Um, it's like, call the cops. Yeah, <laughs> like, this is not, this is not a dude who, like, even if he's not, even if there's nothing in the jar, this is a dude who is clearly a danger to others. Like, he's gonna do something at some point. Like, he's gonna order food and the delivery guy is going to look at him weird, and he's going to brain that guy. I mean, clearly this dude is an issue. Yeah. Um, and so Garko is just like, fuck it, and drinks the bottle, at which point he turns into a frogman. Um, he begins rampaging toward Howard and the boys. Howard, in a very selfless moment, is just like, you go call the police, I'll hold him off. Um, Garko, however, starts shrinking and ultimately turns into a regular frog. Um, in the course of this, the police show up right as this happens. And so Howard is like swinging at Garko, uh, and hits the police officer. The police officer's like, what the fuck is going on? Howard's like, Hey, there was a giant frog man here named Garko. I was fighting him. I don't know where he is now, but I, you gotta believe me. At which point the police are like, yeah, sure, whatever. Midget in a... Uh, midget. And bear in mind, I'm not 
I'm not trying to use this word because I know people find it offensive. What they say is, what they do is they call him a midget in a duck costume. Yes. Uh, fighting a supposed man frog. Okay, sure thing. So they arrest him. Uh, as the police car is pulling off, it runs over Garko. So, yeah. So, um, Garko. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting thing and we'll have a little more Howard before the, before we're done, but yeah, it's, it lightened things up considerably after that serious downturn in la in the first part of the issue. Um, and things don't get better as far as like darkness. Yeah. It's, it's like. It is dark for the rest of the week, basically. Uh, so Man-Thing number 17 is written by Steve Gerber, penciled by Jim Mooney, who also inked it, colored by Petra Goldberg, and lettered by Joe Rosen. So everyone everyone is freaking out, both because of the Viking, who is still technically at large, and uh, the Man-Thing having attacked the high school. And killed um, three people. Like, and killed some people. Yeah, like this is this is this is warranted. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the radio station is taking tips and reporting on the story and everything, and we have our old friend Sad Sack Richard Rory um, reporting on it. Uh, Olivia Selby, who is the mother of one of the kids at the high school, starts looking through her daughter's hygiene book and finds that it's all about sex education and she gets very upset and her husband's like whatever it's the middle of the night go to bed you stupid hag and she's just like no we need to do something about this um so then there's a bunch of vigilantes who are out trying to hunt down the man thing um and the the emotions running rampant in the area kind of caused man thing to effectively shut down he cannot handle the sheer amount of shit that's going on um so they just find him and he's like rigid and laying in the muck and they're just like cool all right so uh well this wasn't hard at all one of them i guess works at a at a uh chemical plant so they uh, they take Man-Thing to the chemical plant, call the mayor, uh, and then they dump him in a vat of chemicals, uh, which causes Man-Thing to start breaking down. Um, Richard Rory at the news station finds out about this and is very upset. He goes and takes a minute to kind of compose himself, at which point his boss, Mr. Carpenter, is like, what the fuck are you doing? Why is the receptionist reading something on air? And Richard is just like, I needed a second. I'm sorry. And Carpenter is just like, well, tomorrow at 2 p.m., the the mayor is doing a town hall to talk about all of this. I want you to cover it. And Rory's like, I won't have slept. And, uh... Carpenter's just like, who the fuck needs sleep? Do your job. So Richard goes to the uh, town hall, at which point um, Olivia Selby immediately hijacks the whole thing 
um, with her group mothers for something stupid bullshit um, and starts talking about how uh, all of these kids are or all of these books that the school is having them read uh, are warping their kids' minds. They've got sex education. Their English book includes stuff about atheism. Their history book is to, or is talking, no, social studies book is talking about communism and doesn't just outright... Um, Pro as well as con? It's yeah. Like, yeah what, uh, okay. It doesn't present a case against communism. It says these are the these are the good points of communism. These are the bad points. Like make your own decision. Um, and so she's like, these commie pinko perverts need to be driven out of our school. At which point the Viking shows up and he's like, this is what I was talking about the whole time. If men were allowed to be men and women were allowed to be women. This wouldn't keep happening, but instead you got pansies over here doing this and women's livers over here doing this. And everybody's like, yeah, these lunatics are right. Let's follow the bitchy old lady and the man dressed as a Viking. <laughs> we should and... definitely start burning all the books. It's like, yeah. whoa, this escalated really quickly. Like, I did not think you were going to get hide nor hair of these folks. But I guess they were all ripe for a little civil disobedience. Everyone's just, yeah, ready for fascists. Yeah. Let's just, and, come, let's just and do apparently, it. And apparently, when you are in that kind of mood, you will follow anyone who, who tells you what you want to hear, even if it's a confirmed murderer <laughs> dressed like a Viking. So wait, Richard, didn't you just kill that rock star? No, he's wait, killed, he killed two that they know about, <laughs> and he and they're just know. like this. This crazy guy is talking a lot of sense. So Richard steps in and he's like, "What the fuck are you people doing?" At which point he gets knocked the fuck out by the Viking, and the mob then heads off to the high school. Which, hooray! Um, so then, uh, we have man thing number 18, which is colored by Phil Rachelson and lettered by Ray Holloway. The mob makes its way to Citrusville high school and starts, um, and starts ripping books from the library. Like what? And I think I get the feeling that they're, they're also strongly planning on like taking some of the teachers out back. I it's one of those things of I don't think a conscious decision has been made as far as most of them are concerned but you know I'm sure there's a couple that are just like yeah and maybe take out that that uh homo you know English teacher or whatever yeah but I think I think at the very least, this mob is primed for violence. Yeah, once um, the murders start, I don't think anyone in this mob is going to stop it. It's yeah. Definitely, yeah. Um, so, uh, they are headed to the high school to burn some books and whoever tries to stop them. The man thing, meanwhile, uh, we have a sewage drainage pipe into the uh into the local river where 
man thing manages to reform himself uh but he's like all thick and bubbly uh and so the mob is at the high school and ripping books from the library and bringing them out front olivia selby is up at the you know at the top of the stairs just like rooting people on her daughter carol is just like mom what the fuck are you doing and she's like this is for your own good and she's like mom you are embarrassing me in front of my friends <laughs> you know and uh mom, you're leading a fascist mob in front of my friends like they can all see you doing this uh, one of the Why teachers are you doing this to me. One of the I teachers love teenagers. does. They're hilarious. <laughs> one of the teachers does actually try to step in the way and be like, "Hey, lady, um, no." Mean, which only garners him the attention of the Viking, who throws him out a fucking window. Well, uh, yeah, because she's like uh, Olivia Selby's. Like, you put picked the biology textbook this year, didn't you? And uh-huh. he's like, "Yeah." And uh, she's like, and does your book or does it not say that at some point man may be able to create life on his own? And he's like, well, yeah, I mean, it says that that's a possibility at some point. And she's like, so you are saying that man could supplant God? And he's like, what? It's it's just talking about how, like, scientific... And the Viking steps in, and he's just like, and you're a homo, aren't you? <laughs> and he's just like, what? Uh, what? <laughs> no. And then the Viking throws him out a window. He, and, lit, he falls, you know, 30 feet and dies. Well, he's he's injured. He's still alive at the end of this, ostensibly, because they call him a... They call him a... Um, an ambulance... Uh, and supposedly he's still alive. But in the course of all of this, Richard Rory, because he tried to intervene, is fired from his job at the radio station. So he's like, fuck it, and heads to the high school to try and stop what's going on. Um, And he is met by Astrid Josephson, who's just like, my grandfather is going crazy. And he's like, that's your grandfather like come with me maybe you can you know uh meanwhile the man the soap thing uh is on its way um richard and astrid are trying to stop the mob which is getting they've got their pile of books and they're getting ready to light it um and uh tries to make an appeal to the Viking by saying, you know, she has Astrid talk to him. Astrid is just like, I am who I am because of you. Everything that I am, every every part of me, including the part that questions what I am taught, I learned from you. And it seems like he starts to kind of come around and maybe... And, like, Richard is trying to work on Selby, and and it looks like she might get there. Uh, But then they're just like, nope. And, like, the Mad Viking hits Astrid, breaking her neck, 
and everybody everybody kind of pauses for a moment and they're like holy shit he just killed his granddaughter and then they're just like oh well and st- and continue setting the books on fire and richard like i like this because richard is just like i thought i thought we could do this like i thought we could stop them but they are they are intent on doing this and it's a very jarring moment for him and it comes across really well um so the the books are burning the man thing arrives and heads for the man viking or the mad viking man too many um lots of hyphens uh the the mad viking and him start grappling but then like all of the chemicals that are in man thing start making their way onto the mad viking and dissolve him while man thing is now restored back to his normal muckiness it's um, fucking gruesome yeah so he is reduced to nothing and everybody's just like huh, okay we got to get out of here so they the mob takes off richard rory is completely disillusioned cuz when he when he first arrived in Citrusville, he's like, I think I could like it here. It's a very small town. Uh, you know, everybody knows everybody. Uh, this is a this is the kind of place I could really come to like. And now he's seen what Citrusville really is. Um, which, you know, like if you've lived in a small town, there's a possibility you've seen this kind of thing. Um, On a... S- yeah... Much less harsh scale, but yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, you. I know there are a lot of people who, having lived in a small town, uh, have seen this certainly on a smaller scale. Like, yeah, nobody necessarily got their neck snapped, but have seen the way that a small town can turn that quickly. Um, oh, yeah. Uh. But Astrid, or not Astrid, Olivia Selby, not Olivia, Olivia's daughter, whose name... Carol. Carol. Carol Selby is like, no, don't leave me, I want to go too, and he, like, Rory's like, no, no, and she's like, you can't leave me here, he's like, "Uh, okay, and he's clearly not making good decisions, because I really, I'm chalking it up to, uh... This day's been so fucked, I don't... I don't... Yeah. Like, I don't have the capacity right now, so, like, if you want to get in the van, I guess get in the van. Um, yeah, I think this is... I think this is a situation where Richard has seen his belief in humanity dashed, yeah. uh, and is no longer... and is in such shock that he's just like, fine, whatever, uh... Mm-hmm. We'll talk about this later. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, uh, the next issue is a huge giant size. So, let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll be back in a minute with our last couple issues. All right. Anyway, we're back. We are back. Uh, Giant size man thing number five. We have we have a framing story with a bunch of smaller stories here. 
the overall story is called Fear Times Three, uh, which is written by Steve Gerber, penciled by Ed Hannigan, inked by Dan Atkins, colored by Glennis Ween, and lettered by Gaspar Saladino. Ted Salas and his future betrayer, his wife Ellen, uh, arrive at a carnival in Citrusville not long before he becomes Man-Thing. Uh, they go to this fortune-telling kiosk and uh, they're like, oh, this will be fun. Uh, and the woman's like, yeah, cool, come on in. And uh, they're like, where's your crystal ball? She says, oh, I read smoke. So she has Ted Salas write his name on a piece of paper. Uh, and then like dark plumes of smoke come from it. And he's like, oh, you chemically treated the paper, huh? And she's like, no, this is your fate. This has nothing to do with my pieces of paper, you shit bird. Um, <laughs> it's and nothing that's... but doom. Uh, also, this yeah. is this this fortune teller is Madame Swabata, who we've met before uh, in uh, Hell, uh, Son, Son of Satan. Satan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't make that connection before now. Good call. Um, um, yep. So this is this is the setup we have for our various three stories. The first is there's a party in 6G, which is penciled, inked, and lettered by Tom Sutton. Um, we, we have this woman, Margaret, who is a cultist and apparently occasionally babysits this baby. <laughs> uh, so she goes to the apartment of the lady she babysits for and abducts her kid. They then go down into a different part of the building and start getting ready for their ritual. Man thing. Uh, so this is this for what it, this is set in Atlanta. Um, yeah. And it's really weird because it doesn't tell you how the hell man thing got to Atlanta. Right. Now, the last issue we read is also set in Atlanta, but they explain why. Yeah. This one, it's just man things in Atlanta. Fuck it. Um, now, admittedly, there are swamps in Georgia, so it's... But I don't think it can just be swamp. It's got to be the swamp he's actually tied to. But whatever. Oh, so and They also hand wave that away, too, in a way that I actually don't like, because it removes... It makes Man-Thing able to get out of the swamp, and I don't like it. But anyway... We'll no, I, I agree. But we'll get to that in, in number 19. Uh so man thing is on his way and this whole, so he gets into the building and he is able to remember enough to be able to press the button on the elevator. But then he goes inside and he's like, I don't know what to do and starts like banging on the walls. But then the cultists call the elevator. And so it starts going up, but then Margaret, the, cultist babysitter is like you idiots what if somebody's in there so they take the stairs down to where they're going to be sacrificing the baby they go down and start this uh invocation of the demon earthold the devourer of babies and they make a point of saying here that earthold is a lower level demon given that higher order demons are able to enjoy the souls of adults whereas lower order demons 
have to make do with the bland, disgusting souls of babies. So that's a that's a nice little uh, tidbit for yeah, you. There you go. Now, um, now you know that it's just yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it's DC has their thing of like, well, lower order demons are only able to speak in rhyme, and it's and Marvel's over here like lower order demons eat babies, <laughs> and you're just like. Fuck, whoa, dude. Whoa. All right. Whoa. I don't. I don't. I don't want to know what Image has to say about the same level oh, of no. demons. Uh, so the idea here, though, is that they summon Earthhold. Um, she will offer herself to the demon, uh, and then they'll fuck. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. There's so, this whole thing. They have to sacrifice the baby so that she can get married to the demon, and. Right. Uh, Man Thing follows all of their weird ass energy downstairs, uh, bursts in, saves the baby. Uh, when when he bursts in, Earthold removes his protection of Maggie from the fire. She's standing in the brazier that they're doing all this crap to. Uh, so she catches on fire. She catches on fire. Uh, the cultists manage to put her out, but. They knock over the brazier to dispel uh, Earthhold. <coughs> Man thing saves the baby by jumping out the window and leaving on the doorstep. It's fine. This yeah. is the funnest. It's the most fun Man thing story of the week, which is not a word you would usually use to describe cultists sacrificing a baby to the devourer of infants. It, it's literally this kind of week, though. Like, yeah. That that that's the kind of week we're having where the <laughs> demon possession story is man thing is the the most fun. Uh, so, so then we have the sins of the fathers, which is written written by Len Wein, penciled by John Bushima, inked by Frank Springer, and lettered by Joe Rosen. We have our own little Romeo and Juliet, Kip and Terry, who are running away. Uh, and they've left notes for their parents saying, we've run away to the swamp. They're hoping that by doing this, their parents will come to stop them and reconcile. Um, because apparently their dads were business partners. One, Kip's dad sold his half of the business to Terry's dad. Then the business got really huge. So Kip's dad feels like he's been hard done by terry's dad is just like fuck you you sold to me i didn't run you out of the business you just decided you were done and uh so yeah so the parents come to look for them it does not go the way that kip and terry are hoping they wind up breaking out into a fight wherein the dads are beating the shit out of each other and the moms are rooting them on um Terry gets upset and goes to run away and falls into some quicksand. Her father is like, get the fuck off of me and goes to try and rescue her, but he can't reach her. Man-Thing arrives at that point and goes into the quicksand after her, but it's already too late. She's dead. So he brings her, um, he brings her out. One of the dads, like Terry's dad had a shotgun and Kip's dad had a revolver. 
Kip takes the revolver and shoots himself and the parents are left to mourn their children and their own stupidity. But they're not so, even mourning their children. Like the last issue or the last panel of this is man thing walking away while the parents still yell and scream at each other. It's like, well, at I'm, least I'm sure at some point there will be mourning. Like, I don't know. These know. are awful, awful people. They are all around. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm sure. So here's the thing. I am not going to speak to the type of the shape the morning will take. Chances are any morning that they do will be largely performative and about them. Oh, yeah. You know, they will be, oh, my son is dead. Woe is me. It's still technically morning, but sure. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so then we have the story Lifeline which is written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Ed Hannigan, inked by Tom Sutton, lettered by Karen Mantlow. Uh, This dude, Jackson Hunter, who we've never run into before, uh, that I can remember. I I meant to check that. So did I. He has a team of mercenaries that he is drilling uh, in the sense that they're training, not that he's fucking all of them, (laughs) though he could be. Um, But apparently he was... uh, he had had a run-in with Man-Thing in which his uh, plane crashed um, in the swamp. And he then... Um, he ran into he Man-Thing, then, thing, was scared and got burned. Uh, Man-Thing is... Stand, we join Man-Thing when he's standing in the middle of the swamp not moving. And yeah. it's highly intimated that he's been this way for days, which I really like. Actually, I actually like that as a when there's nobody around and like no high emotions, man thing just chills. Like, yeah, he just stands I, there. It's it's kind of like, uh, did you did you see you you said you didn't have, watch Parks and Recreation? Yeah. There is a, an episode where one of them is working for a senator. Um, and whenever the senator winds up not being needed, uh, he just get, goes into a room and sits staring at the wall <laughs> and like smiling and just like powered down. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's the, it's the same kind of thing. So, uh, so apparently Jackson Hunter's whole thing, he had a run in with man thing, man thing burned the side of his face. He's now in a wheelchair, whatever. So they, they have developed a way to track man thing and they set out after him. It does not go well. Uh, in the course of it, most of the mercenaries are killed. Uh, and then the last one goes insane and is just like, it's your fault. They're dead. And he like, uh, fires a rocket at the helicopter, which blows it up. And then he's, he is spared from man things quote unquote wrath simply because he's now too far gone to really be feeling anything. He's just like, <laughs> and like man things like, okay, cool. Bye. Um, so yeah, so to lighten the mood a little bit, we have another Howard the Duck story, Hell Cow, which is penciled by Frank Bruner, inked by Tom Palmer, and lettered by Annette Kowecki. Uh Howard is in jail. 
the commissioner comes down uh and you know the commissioner is named gordonsky uh and he's just like obviously it's a small dude in a duck costume so he orders howard to take off his clothes and howard is like all right takes off his clothes he's still got his hat on and the commissioner's like all your clothes and he's like fine so he takes the hat off and the commissioner's like i'm not fucking around so he starts groping howard looking for like a zipper or something and he's just like oh my god oh my god it's an actual duck and like so they let howard go simply because they just don't want the public to find out that that they they arrested a talking duck yeah um so he he leaves and in the course of things finds a newspaper about these various farm slayings and we we get a brief thing about a dude finding a cow that's wearing a dracula cape (laughs) and he's like what are you doing out here random cow well it's okay you can come on in and sleep in my barn tonight and if need be we'll figure out who you belong to but in the meantime i'll set up that stall for you and oh my god what are you doing (laughs) so uh howard puts on a human costume and starts wandering the streets uh sure enough the 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 cow attacks uh and they wind up fighting in an auto parts store uh we get a brief flashback to the origins of the hell cow uh which are that um dracula was hanging out in this small in this village but all of the houses were barred to him and he was like he was feeling the hunger uh and the only thing available to him was a cow the farmer came out the next morning the cow was dead so the farmer buried it but then it rose again as the hell cow so howard starts fighting the hell cow um and he is able he uses a um cross-shaped tire wrench yeah to uh to force it back um in the course of things he's like okay i have a stake i gotta get a hammer but in order to get the hammer i've got to drop the wrench what the fuck am i going to do so he does so the hell cow swoops at him he dives and the hell cow crashes into a bunch of tires uh in doing so the hell cow winds up with its fangs embedded in a white wall and Howard is able to come up and drive the stake into it. At this point, the police showed up and he's just like, hey, guys, I killed a cow. <laughs> and they're just like, we, we, we're going now. <laughs> and he's just like, what? Come on, guys. Like, I killed the farm. I, I'm I trying the, the farm killer. I killed it. Guys. I'm trying to help you. And he's just like, all right fuck you then (laughs) and it's just it's so i mean it's howard the duck like what are you gonna what are you gonna say other than it's howard the fucking duck yeah so then uh 
we get we get i think this is actually kind of the worst issue of man thing this week um so man thing number 19 written by steve gerber penciled by jim mooney inked by frank springer colored by don warfield and lettered by dave hunt uh richard rory has gone on the road with carol selby and it turns out man thing uh man thing due to his exposure to these chemicals is now no longer tied to his swamp he can go wherever he wants which as you said it's it sucks it's really a problem because on the one hand while it means we don't have these constraints that say if he's out of this area he starts to weaken but man thing is most interesting in the swamp and the reason that worked as well as it did is because of that constraint um if you don't have that what the fuck is the point um and i know that what roy was thinking when he because this isn't they were this feels like an editorial decision that they were like we need to get man thing out of the swamp we got to get him out of the swamp it's he's too boring in there we got to get him out of the swamp get him out of the swamp somehow figure it out and they did and it just kills the book so it does it does it's like it's like saying you know what if is great and all Uh but what if it didn't visit alternate universes and it's just kind of like but that's the whole point of the book and it's like yeah but like what if it weren't and it's fucking stupid uh but anyway so they they travel to atlanta and they um shack up at a motel uh during the night man thing gets out of the van and he's wandering the streets there is a woman named colleen sanders who is leaving her husband and children like she uh she's just very unhappy and like needs to go and find what will make her happy and doesn't want to have the conversation with her husband um because she knows he's not going to understand which obviously he'll understand better if you just leave right uh whatever fucking coward but um so as she is leaving she is attacked by this guy the scavenger um man thing stops him uh they fight scavenger takes off when the neighbors arrive um the neighbors attack man thing and he's just like okay and takes off colleen is now a vegetable she's like talking in nonsense and just not there um we cut back to the motel where Richard finds out that man thing is gone. Uh, he's like, Oh God, people aren't going to understand what he is and blah, blah, blah. And Carol's like, Oh, Hey, here's another wrinkle. I'm 17. So you're a kidnapper. And he's just like, why would you tell me this now? And she's After like, we've oh. crossed state lines. I am yeah. definitely a kidnapper now. Oh yeah. God damn it. Um, this was, I mean, look, I, I get, I get, like, this need to be somewhere else. I get that. I've been in that position, and I get just wanting to, like, get the fuck out. Um, 
but don't do that to somebody like let them make the decision but if you're going to be like please take me with you then tell him hey by the way i'm 17 so this is technically a crime and let them be like that's fine you need help even if it is technically a crime i will help you rather than just springing on the springing it on them after the fact like you know yeah and um, she's really like like she seems really recalcitrant and like uh oh no i'm so sorry that i did this to you but i'll visit you in prison and it's like no you can fix this god damn it yeah uh, and <sighs> and the way she because up until now there's not necessarily been anything inherently sexual she asked for help he helped her but she's just like, I'll visit you in prison, and when you get out, you'll only be like 50, and I have a thing for older men. And he's just like, ah! He literally goes, oh no! And like, <laughs> turns around and is like trying to get away from her at this point uh, to go back to his room when Man-Thing stumbles into the hotel lobby and starts wrecking shit. And he's like, yeah. ah, no! Oh man, this this is the worst day. This is yeah. the worst day. Um, I remember there was, a... there was one time that I got nearly murdered by bikers in the swamp. This is worse than that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because now it's like, no matter what happens, the, uh, the, like, even if you're murdered, even if you're, because before it was just disc jockey disappears or disc jockey found dead in the swamp. Now any headline involving you is going to begin with criminal pervert. Yeah. Um, it's a bad day. So, uh, the scavenger still starving hits a donut shop and drains the woman dry. And all that's left is bones. Um, so man thing is in the lobby of the hotel and everybody's flipping out and Richard's like, no, no, it's okay. He's not violent. And he try and he like calms man thing down because their fear is making man thing get wonky. And he's just like, no, 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 it's okay. Shh, shh. And, uh, then suddenly scavenger bursts in. Um, and he's, there, there's this whole fight during which he's just like, ah, I'm evil. And then, like, he decides to show his face to everybody and show how fucking handsome it is because apparently it's worse that he's a monster who with the face of an angel. But, uh, sure, okay. Uh, so then, like, in the course of it, he feels fear, at which point the man thing has both of his hands on the dude's face. And now his outside matches his inside. Bleh. And he's like, thank you so much. I wanted that to happen so badly. It's so weird. Yeah. This is the, I, it's easily the worst. It's, it's the least realized story of the week. Because and I, it's it, the... The villain isn't realized very well, except for, like, he's crazy. Well, if he's crazy, if he's as crazy as you're putting together here, how how is he, like, how is he that crazy and still able to put together a costume, right? Right. I don't really buy that. Uh, I don't know 
we never we I I'm a little torn on the fact that I don't know anything about this guy. Like, you know, normally in any of these books we introduce a dude and then do four pages of origin story for him so that we uh so you had any context about him. We don't do that. I don't know this guy's deal. Uh, he had a horrible upbringing, it sounds like, and that broke him. But where the hell did he get the body-draining powers? Did that make him worse? Uh, and his his desire to be ugly is almost fetishistic. Yeah. It's really, it's really... Because, you know, on the surface, it reads as, like, just, like, you know, when... Uh, when Man Thing burns his face, he's just like, "Oh, thank you." But the way he was acting previously, where he once, he once, he wants to be punished. He wants to, yeah, you know, be stopped. Is so heavily, heavily accentuated. That it, like I said, it become it becomes almost like he's just like, oh, thank yeah. you, and it's just like, all right, no, I'm not comfortable with any of this. So, on that note, <coughs> top uh, five, top five, uh, dude comes, then we <laughs> talk about what we liked. I sneeze. Top five. The Watcher's Guide's Top 5. Top 5. To number 5, I'm gonna go Hellcow. Because honestly, it was refreshing just to have a bit of Howard the Duck goofiness in the middle of all of that. Whoa. Right. Um, and Hellcow is... Hellcow is good. I don't care what anyone says. Um... Hellcow was dead, that part blows, but Hellcow was fun and good, and I liked it. Uh, number four, uh, the two things fighting together in Fantastic Four 161, I think that was. Um, I liked it. Uh, number three is Beast as an Avenger because he fits really well. It's nice to see... It's another, like, landmark sort of thing or mile marker in this journey that we're taking through the history of co- of these comics that I'm like, oh, I know that. Well, and like, it's also kind of a landmark in the history of mutants in the Marvel Universe. It's a bit of credibility that, X- that mutants have really lacked up until now um, because... You know, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are uh, different, I guess, because they were they were Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. But it, I don't know, it feels a different thing to with them than it does with Beast. True, um, because he's a part of the X Men, and because he's spent so much of his time being hated and feared whereas Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch joined the Avengers pretty early on mm-hmm. so um the X-Men number 2 is the X-Men falling from the sky that's a really great sequence i like the inventiveness of like how they figured out how to get everybody down um especially 
Peter just going, fuck it, metal, wham! Like, that's fine. Colossus does not need help getting out yeah. of the sky. Uh, and then number one is actually the character beat of uh, Cyclops choosing to stay. Yeah. It took... I thought it was... I know I give him shit, but like as far as a character moment goes, that was that was nice, and it shed some light onto him as a person and what he's about and what he thinks he's capable of and what he thinks he should be doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's me. Well, uh, so number five for me is uh, Xavier being with john as he died um not only because it's it's a very unequivocal death but also it's it's kind of nice that he was just kind of there you know um yeah it's kind of it's kind of like uh one of the better moments of joss whedon's run on astonishing x-men was when kitty has phased the bullet uh and emma's with her um and she's just kind of like do you want me to take you somewhere else and stuff like that so um so yeah that's a very nice uh moment uh number four is i killed a cow (laughs) um (laughs) number three uh i i really like how um banshee is you know when when at the beginning of 94 sunfire's gone um yeah. and the all of the younger x-men are staying because it's like well meh. and wolverine is just like i'll play it out see how it goes uh and everything and banshee is like not sure about staying um and Xavier's just like, you could have a place to belong. Right. Which I feel like a lot of the the younger characters, if they were told that, uh, they, they're young and idealistic enough that they could maybe think they could make their own way. Not Nightcrawler so much because he's seen what happens. Right. But... Uh, but I think the other, I think the others are all young enough that they'd be like, nah, I, I can find a place in this world. It's a big world. Whereas Banshee is old enough that it's just like, you know, I've been out there, I've been doing it alone and it's kind of sucked. It would be nice to have someplace to call home. Right. Um, number two is Cyclops whole killed by my fucking eyes thing. Uh, and the number one is Beast is an Avenger because I just dig the shit out of that. Yep. Uh, so, uh, that is it for us this week. Um, next week we have stuff. Um, now I forget what we have next week. It is a, I think, I feel like we have more man thing coming, but. Well, there's not um, much man thing in the way of book left yeah well we have a few issues of man thing uh some marvel two-in-one some daredevil 
giant size supervillain team up and then supervillain team up proper and some master of kung fu so uh yeah um in the meantime you can follow us both individually and at watchers guide mu uh like us on facebook uh email us at watchersguide gmail.com or visit our website at watchersguide.com uh go see endgame uh, and have a marvelous week all right, bye.